Hello, and welcome to a rare morning edition of I'm 62 and I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. This is KJ. And uh, I had a nice long podcast already um, recorded here this morning. And the anchor crashed. And I lost it. So I guess I'm going to start over. And uh, probably a little bit more concise. Because I kind of have my thoughts together. As you probably can tell if you've listened to this at all, I don't work off a script. It just basically bullshit, and I tell you kind of the stream of consciousness. And right now, I know it's been a couple of weeks because it's been a major shit show. And I'm not talking in the vernacular of when you describe something going to hell in a handbasket as a shit show. I'm talking real life raw sewage. I think I've explained that you know the house floods—that's what we call it, the swamp queen. And so the when I did the plans and specifications, by the time it all got done, you know, the remodel on the thing was 1.6 million. I can't afford that, nor do I want it. So, house has been on the market on and off now for about six months. I had an offer about three weeks ago. The deal fell through. Now we've got a new offer. This is a full price offer, which is a good number. But. Um, it's contingent on, on the buyer being able to do an inspection and a feasibility. So they've got 30 days to do that. And we're in the middle of that period. So last uh, Tuesday, they came out and brought in uh, you know, a whole team of people to go through the house. They're flushing toilets, checking the electrical, doing whatever they're doing. I quite I don't quite understand it because all the information is on the drawings. If you could read the drawings, then you know pretty much what the house is all about. They also called my agent and then they wanted to do a sewer scope. So last Friday that we scheduled them to come out and scope the sewer. The way the house is at the house, you know, is a we got a five foot basement, so there's five it's and the washer dryer's down there. So that means the suicide sewer that comes from the street is about six feet above where the washer dryer is so there is what they call an ejector pump it actually pumps the water up out of the basement off the you know out of the washer dryer and into the side sewer and then goes into the city a a sanitary sewer well when the house when we bought the house the house actually had you know uh, a finished basement and when it flooded everything down there was taken out i mean the cabinets everything were ruined and dick doodle stripped everything back to the studs there was a toilet down there, so there's a stack. You know, the sewage stack goes all the way to the toilet that was in the basement. So this is all part of the same system. You know how you know everything from upstairs is gravity fed, but anything that was downstairs had to see a ejector pump. I don't know anything about how these systems work, nor do I want to know anything. I am not a plumber. I'm not a sewer person. I just know kind of the basic mechanics of it. Well, they said they need to go in through a clean-out. Okay, that's fine. They opened the clean-out in the basement. Again, the clean-out is five to six feet below grade. And all of the sewage that was in the side sewer shot out all over the basement. These two nimrods try to get the hell out of here without telling me what's going on. But they left the basement door open. And I can't let the cats get down there because cats like to go down there and play. And when I go down to shut the door, I notice there's this huge whiff of stench. And 
and see that there's an inch of rustage throughout the entire basement. There's probably 50 to 60 bins of Christmas decorations, Halloween decoration, all that kind of stuff. There is a bunch of boxes of antique glassware of stuff that I had at the other house that never got unpacked because the flood downstairs did it in. And they're all still in cardboard boxes. And there is a refrigerator and there is a uh, bunch of shelves and there is a plant table and all of it is now drenched. In, oh yeah, and a crab pot, my dog kennel. All that is now drenched in sewage. So I call my agent and told her what's going on. And they sent somebody out immediately to clean it up. When they go down there, they said they can't do the job. It's too big of a job. So this is, it happened at 11. So the next person comes out there. That was about 1.30 when the, the first group comes out. About five o'clock then, a second group comes out and they, that's what they, they specializes in mold remediation, all this kind of stuff. They go down there and they tell me, you know, it's going to be, you know, they're going to come back tonight with a group. So I hang out till 10 o'clock at night and nobody shows up. This is Friday night. And uh, so I start calling around and come to find out the potential buyer, the one that did the damage, didn't sign the contract. He's going to send out his own crew. So Saturday morning, 8.30, somebody's banging at the front door and it turns out to be another remediation company. They go downstairs and they come back and go, it's going to be a three-day job because they got to empty the basement. They've got to clean all of the tubs. They've got to then clean the floor. They've got to, there's no water down there. There's no, you know, no, there's um, very little light. And they didn't know how they're going to get in the basement because you can't go up the stoop. And, you know, the only access to it is really from the inside. They dropped off an air scrubber. Monday morning rolls around, nobody shows up. So I start calling around. They put it off to today. So that means the raw sewage has sat in the basement since Friday. So it's what? It's Tuesday. So that's all day Saturday, all day Sunday, all day Monday. So we're on day four. So by now the mold is starting. And the house reeks not only of shit, but of mold. So this old dude now comes in 10 o'clock this morning with um his his assistant who uh pulls up in a lexus that he'd spray painted and they are dressed in their tyvex suit and he's in an old uh pickup with a ladder strapped to the top and he pulls out a shop shop back and a bo bottle of bleach and it's like they want to cut a hole in the siding to get into the basement and, and tear my plants out it's like no you don't get to do that until you actually own the house but there was an old door that Dick Doodle had removed so that he could break into the house. And what I had done is I had put this garden shed over that opening. So they were able to take the garden shed off. I told them they could take the garden shed off, empty the basement, and then do their cleanup. And I don't think I want to put the bins back down there. I think I'm going to call pods and have a pod drop once these things are clean. So that's what's going on right now. I just walked out there and the whole base, I mean, the whole driveway is full of bins. There's the racks, everything are out there. There's no source of water. So how are they going to clean these things? I don't know. I saw them pulling the hose that runs the sump pump and I asked them what they're doing. And he goes, well, you know, they, they were going to hook it up to the outside tap. And it's like, there is no outside tap. That is actually the outfall for the sump pump. So um, the other guys told me that they're going to need a water truck and a 
and a um, dumpster and a vac truck. The crew that showed up had a shot vac, bottle of bleach, and a couple of Tyvek suits. So we'll see how it goes. Concurrently, at the same time, my younger sister died, and she was 56. She'd had a history of health problems. She had originally got injured on the job working as a night manager at a local grocery store and got run over by a pallet jack, and that kind of sent her in a downward spiral of getting involved with drugs. When my parents passed away, you know, we had fought. You know, there's a huge estrangement between me and the rest of the family. And uh, we each ended up with about $100,000. I bought the boat and the pickup, which both lost both of them in the divorce. I had to sell them to pay for the attorney. And then she was about 300 pounds, diabetic, smoked, drank. And uh, she used the money to have gastric bypass surgery. Which on the surface sounds like a good use of the money. And this was about 2008. Well, come to find out um, how this how this latest episode started was she was having stomach pains and went to the doctor and they said they needed to remove her gallbladder. And uh, when they opened her up, they found out that the gastric bypass was leaking into, into, into her intestines. They needed to do first four more surgeries in order to patch her up, so they did that. So she was in the ICU for you know, three or four days, and then they sent her to a rehabilitation center. Well, this was at the same time that I was over in Spokane skiing with my middle sister, and we were going to drive to Montana and see her in the hospital because we knew her her condition was was not good. I guess I'll just put it that way. Well. While we're in Spokane, I mean, I had the car packed. I had the dogs with me. I had the car packed and everything ready to go for 10 days on the road. And uh, we get the, the news that she's tested positive for COVID. She's diabetic, history of obesity, smokes, heavy drinker. And from what I hear, use prescription drugs. At least that's what somebody said. They said, yeah, she liked her pharmaceuticals. was the way that it was put. So I, I'm taking that it was prescription drugs. A week ago, I get a call from my niece that uh, my youngest sister was being um, transported from the old folk, from the rehab center to uh, back to the hospital because her blood pressure and her oxygen levels were dropping. They put her in the ICU for about, she lasted about 48 hours, and then she passed away. So it's diabetes and COVID, which now research is coming out saying that those two go together. So they're planning the funeral while I've got this going on here at the house, I've got a huge mess going on. And so they're trying to, I mean, it's gonna take me two days to get to Montana. And I hope next Tuesday I'm supposed to have my COVID, my second shot, and I really wanna do that. So they're gonna see if they can push it till next weekend. That just creeps me out. 
remember my mom's funeral. I was just like in a daze. She passed away while the rest of the family was on vacation. And when they got home, she didn't answer the door. And so they put, put the five, my five-year-old niece through the window at that point to open the door. And they found, she found her grandmother dead. I don't think they ever got the kid any therapy. But she's the one that split, went to California as soon as she got of age. And I haven't seen her since. I would imagine she was she screwed up. I mean, I'd be screwed up from it. But I do remember driving after getting the news and driving over there. And it was quite the light show. The coroner and everything else. And then the, the funeral was at the church. And then we went out to you know, the Catholic cemetery where she's buried. I didn't drive past that cemetery for two years because it just freaked me out so bad. And um, I didn't drive by it on purpose. It was one of those things where um, in a shop running the ski bus, we had a pickup up the street and the road that we typically take was closed. And so they went down and the main, the main drag there in front of the funeral, in front of the cemetery. And it was the first time that I actually drove down that road. And, uh, that kind of, at least it forced me to get over that piece, you know. So Sunday was Mother's Day, you know, and I bit, had been fighting all weekend for the house to get cleaned up. And then um, Sunday, you know, the house stunk really bad. So I decided I just need to get out of the house. I hadn't really thought anything about Mother's Day. I was much more wrapped up in myself with the situation with the house, trying to figure out when, if I can get to Montana, you know, all of the above. That's going to be a two-day drive from here. You know, I can probably get to Coeur d'Alene and then from Coeur d'Alene into Billings. And apparently she lives, you know, in Wolf Point, which is like 80 miles northwest of Billings. So who knows? Because I don't know, you know, where the where the the funeral home is. But apparently, when I'm talking to my niece, she said that they have like one funeral home for like the entire um, eastern half of Montana. So you kind of have, and with COVID, things have been closed down. So um, they're on a waiting list to get a date. So Sunday, since I there was nobody supposed to come and clean up the house, and. Uh, It smelt really bad. I decided, you know, maybe I'll just go out and drive around and see if they're, you know, kind of get an idea where I want to move. So I, I pulled up, you know, five or six listings of houses that I could afford and uh, took a little drive. And I went through, I found a house that actually would have been perfect. It's not, there's the one, you know, there's the house that's super cool. And I know doggone well, you know, the way it's priced that they did it for bidding more because there's no way in hell that that house is going to sell for the list price. I bet you it goes for maybe $150,000 over asking. And it needs a shitload of work, but it's so cool. It's one of those mid-century modern uh, ramblers with a daylight basement and a big deck and a landscape front yard. But the kitchen is a disaster and the floors are shot. So if that tells you anything um, that's even without even that's just by driving by I can tell what's going on the house that would be ideal was like right in the sweet spot of where I think it'd be a good idea to live 
It was a little four-bedroom, two-bath rambler. It backed up against a church, so the dogs, it was a big chain-link fence yard. It had, you know, a room for an RV parking plus the car parking, so that would be ideal. And then I drove, and I'm driving around looking at all these houses, and I kind of go from Edmonds to Linwood to Bothell. And while I'm out in Bothell, I thought, Shh, you know, I don't have any produce. I should stop at the fruit stand and get some produce. I drive past this fruit stand, oh, you know, twice a day, every Friday going up to Stevens Pass and never really think anything of it. And it had been years and years since I've been in there. But, I thought, you know, yeah, I used to, they used to get some good stuff in there. I'm coming down the Bothell Everett Highway and I pull in the Yakima Fruit Stand. And it's like 80 years old and, you know, there had been a big brouhaha about them widening the road and whether the fruit stand was going to get taken or not. And then there was, you know, in the protest that the state actually is moving the highway to the other side of the road where there's a used car lot, which why they didn't do that in the first place, I don't know. So pulling the fruit, pulling the fruit stand, and they had this really cool basket. Uh, it was a cherry tomato basket, and so I grabbed that and I start walking around the the fruit stand, and I'm getting my stuff. And if you've ever been in a fruit stand, and this is a permanent stand, the smell of the refrigerant and the water and the fruit now creates this pungent, wonderful odor, and it's very distinctive. And it's not an odor, it's just a, it's more of a fragrance, I would say. But, you know, it's got, you know, water and bleach and fruit and everything, you know, to, you know, to hose down a, a fruit stand. It's big. I mean, it's not like, you know, the roadside stand with a couple of baskets of air apples. No, this has got, you know, a, quite a bit of stuff in it. Got a nursery on one side, fruit market, and they kind of got a, a, a refrigerated section with, you know, local milk and yogurt and stuff like that. So I'm walking through there and I'm picking up my produce and uh, all of a sudden that smell hits me and I remember that we used to stop there every Sunday on our way home from church and my mom, my mom would buy, you know, milk and bread and eggs and that kind of stuff at the fruit stand and I, then it dawned on me that it was Mother's Day and I broke down pretty hard. Why I went there, I'll have no idea. I was originally going to go to the Edmonds Fruit Market when I was out there, but I, then I got too far north and wanted to see that house in Bothell. But all these memories come flooding back. And given my sister just died, and uh, here I'm at a place that I used to spend time with as a kid. And it's, it was rough. So I talked to my, my therapist about it. And she was saying, it's my system trying to work out these different traumas. It's kind of creepy. She's saying that, you know, you were seeking out, that your subconscious does these kind of things where you seek out things to comfort you. And that was a place that was before, like, the abuse really started. And um, it was a place that we could go, that we went after church and you know, I also went to school at the same, we went to the Catholic school, so we were at the same place to school. That's where I went to elementary school, and, you know, that's where we go to church. Then I'm very emotional. This whole thing has been very emotional. I mean, this, this stressor of having this damn sewage spill cleanup to being done, on top of having my sister die, and the uncertainty if the house is going to sell. And what drives me crazy is like, 
all five of those houses that I looked at on Sunday, you know, you save them on Redfin and uh, so you can sort of see what's going on and all of them have a pending offer today. So that means they went on the market last Thursday and here it's Tuesday and over the weekend they sold. So it's going to be a super competitive market. So like when this dude shows up today and he starts telling me about what they're going to do to the house, it's like, you guys haven't bought it yet, number one. And I need to move out. And he's like, where are you going to move to? It's like, well, as soon as the deal goes through, then I got to buy a house. I need the money out of this place in order to buy another house. But it's like, it's going to be such a competitive market. And uh, that's kind of one of the reasons I keep these things on Redfin so I can see what they actually sell for. And they're selling for anywhere between twenty-five and $150,000 over asking. And I can't do $150,000 over asking. I mean, I've got a, a hard ceiling limit on what I can spend for a house. And I don't know how far north I'm going to have to go in order to get it because I really do need three to four bedrooms and a fenced yard. And it has to be a rambler. You know, split levels, that's what's amazing is that the split levels with five bedrooms, two baths and stuff like that are the same price as these little ramblers. But I can't have any stairs for me or my dog. And I need a fence yard for the idiot dog. He really does need a fence yard. Well, that's about it. It's kind of kind of rough right now which is nothing new. It's one foot in front of the other. Uh, I just want to get that, get the, the smell out of here. It's just overpowering. And really, we're kind of worried about my health smelling this stuff all weekend. But we'll see. So if you want to, if you want to get a hold of me, um, feel free to email me at skyer. K-A-Y-J-A-Y-1958 at yahoo.com. Again, S-K-Y-E-R-K-A-Y-J-A-Y at 1958 at yahoo.com. This is KJ signing off for another week. I will probably have the funeral wrap-up at the next, if I go or not. I do want to go. At least see, you know, my nieces and my cousins. I just hope it all works out. I want to get my shot. So um, if I could leave Tuesday afternoon and then uh, get to Eastern Washington and overnight and then head into Montana. I've been in Montana since I was 14. Well, that's, that's a story for another day. I've talked long enough. Have a good week and I'll talk to you again soon.